2: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
1: This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre.
3: What is up, Straight Fire fam? It's me, Jason McIntyre. Straight Fire for Friday, August 13th. You Remember as a kid in school, Friday the 13th was like a big deal? I don't know anyone who even discusses it remotely at this stage in my life. Uh, Nobody cares. Friday the 13th, not a big deal. Uh, We have a phenomenal podcast. I don't use the word phenomenal often. Uh, Great, outstanding, amazing, incredible. But this is phenomenal. Uh, You're going to love today's interview with Greg Bishop. It's not the normal stuff we do on here. There are no X's and O's. There is not a lot of gambling. There is not a lot of like intricate breakdowns of teams. This is different. Uh, Greg Bishop is a dude who I've known for a while. He wrote for the New York times forever. Now he's at SI. He does like think pieces on sports and he was at the Olympics. He's got some interesting feedback from his time there. He spent time in June with Dak Prescott. The story has not come out yet, but he's giving us a tease as to what is in it. It sounds heavy, heavy, but interesting. Um, I know it just seems like an overall good dude. Like if he were your neighbor, you'd probably hang with him. seems like a nice guy. Uh, you're going to love it. Um, not a ton going on in sports uh, uh, yesterday that that is worthy of discussion. I personally don't care about the Kawhi deal, four-year de- four deal, uh, fourth-year opt-out. There's nothing there. Th- who cares? Um, a lot of people were upset about yesterday's podcast and the way I, I- – I didn't even realize this as, as it happened. But a lot of people were unhappy that I just let Sean King come on here and just slander my Jets guy, Zach Wilson by saying that um, Kellen Mond or Kyle Trask will be a better NFL quarterback than Zach Wilson. Um, he got lit up on social media. And listen, hey, this is what Sean King, this is what a lot of these guys in sports do, myself included. You say things. Um, sometimes they're inflammatory. I don't think there's any anything to back up Mond and, or Trask over Zach Wilson. I'll just say this. Trask is in the best spot. Um, he's got Bruce Arians. And should Brady go down, he's got... Probably the, you know, best or second best group of wide receivers in the league. Go- really, really good group of tight ends. The running back room is stacked. So contrast could come in and do really well next year. Uh, Kellen Mond, no shot. Um, but anyways, uh, Sean King's fun. If you missed the pod, you should you should check it out. The one thing that, ugh, damn it, I hate to bring this up. Uh, well, well, actually, before I bring it up, I just want to give a shout out to Fox. How cool was the Field of Dreams uh, Yankees game they had? on Thursday night. Pretty awesome. Field of Dreams iconic movie to stage a baseball game there. That feels like it should be like a yearly thing. It was just incredible. It looked awesome. It really jumped off the TV. Super cool. Um, but before we get to Greg Bishop, I'll, I'll just say this. I've been raving about the Jacksonville Jaguars on this podcast for months now. I have, I you know, you, you spread your seed on futures bets in the NFL and I have more on the Jags more numbers of bets, not money, than any other team in the league. And I just don't like what I've heard in the last week. So, first of all, CJ Henderson, who was maybe your third best defensive player, maybe fourth last year, is all of a sudden up for trade. And he, you know, he's, I think he's a rookie. And this is going to be his second year. And Urban Meyer, I guess, and the defensive coordinator see him and they're like, oh, we're ready to move on. And then Thursday night, all of a sudden they trade Joe Schobert. Uh, who I think was their leading tackler last year, middle linebacker to the Steelers, who are needy at linebacker. They had a retirement, um, and they don't have a ton of depth at linebacker, and they trade for Joe Schobert. And it's unclear as of right now what exactly the Steelers gave up. So a year ago, in March, the Jags gave Schobert five years and 53 mil with 21.5 mil guaranteed. They liked him a lot. And I knew there's, I know there's a new regime, and Schobert's not particularly good against the run, but he's he's very good in coverage. I don't know, man. So what is Urban doing? I don't really care about the strength coach. We're past that. That thing happened. Whatever. You know, if your best cornerback, at least on paper, coming into the season is all of a sudden up for trade. And then your leading tackler is up for trade. Like, what are we doing? Is this a locker room thing? What's going on in Jacksonville? Something is amiss there. I can't quite put my finger on it yet. I'm going to do my best to ask around. Um, but, like, the Jags brought in uh, some guy from KC, Damian Wilson, uh, and all of a sudden he was splitting first-team reps with Showbert, And it's like, wait, How? Either did Schobert get overpaid last year? He was, he's really good coverage linebacker, not as good against the run. And it's just like, what the hell's going on in Jacksonville? Two of your th- four best defenders from a year ago are suddenly either trade bait or traded uh, with three weeks to go, uh, four weeks to go until the season. I, I listen, I'm not off the Jacksonville train. Maybe this is a good thing. I just don't know at this juncture. I just want to put that on your radar. All right, without further ado, let's get to Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. Oh, God. Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to
1: sports. I know what sports fans want, but for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does. Let's just say I know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy.
3: All right, let's welcome into Straight Fire uh, one of the pretty much the foremost takeout guys in the country. He wrote for the New York Times forever. Now he's writing for Sports Illustrated. Just got back from the Olympics. He's done books with athletes. uh, And he's got a profile coming out of one of the biggest quarterbacks in the NFL. It's coming out soon. I think we're going to talk about it. He is Greg Bishop. Greg, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Too kind of an introduction, but I'll take it. Thank you. I mean, come on. Jeez, your resume is incredible. But let's start with the Olympics before we get to current NFL stuff. So it's because of the time difference uh, and the whole streaming and the live. We didn't watch a ton of it in our house. We kind of wanted to, but it just didn't take. I am curious. What did you hear from people while you were over there about the Olympics?
5: Yeah, it's interesting you said that because I had kind of wondered like how much. I mean, you, obviously you see the stories about the numbers being down, right? Yeah. And you know, our traffic I think was was pretty good, but like it, it also reflected that. And I just kind of wondered how much people were watching because for me, this was a very interesting Olympic experience. It's the fifth one I've done. I did touring all the way to London and then I didn't do the next couple of cycles. So for me, it was going back to this place as a writer who hopefully had improved at his craft and all that kind of stuff. And so I went into this with low expectations. I thought this isn't gonna be fun. We're in quarantine for 14 days. This is gonna be the worst thing ever. My wife's pregnant, my son's almost four. Like I just didn't wanna be away from home. And yet I had an absolute blast out there. And it was probably because I covered so many things that reminded me why I wanted to cover the Olympics in the first mm. place. You know, I did a lot of track, you know, the, the four by 400 meter relays for hurdles. I mean, uh, individual races for hurdles were both incredible. The tie and high jump, uh, Allison Felix's last stand. I mean, the the shot putter whose grandfather had died, who won and held up a sign for you, grandpap. And like, I mean, I don't think it was a good idea to hold the Olympics right now, not in a country (laughs) with low vaccination rates and in a world that's that's still dealing in a very significant way with the pandemic. But I just got to tell you, like being there, it felt like restorative for me, like is why we do this in the first place. And. I did sport climbing. I did skateboarding. I did sailing. I participated in none of those things, to be clear. But I wrote about,
4: them. <laughs> and
5: I think that, to me, like that's like why I want to write stories, and especially the kind of stories I get to write. It's just it reminds you of, you know, Car- Carissa Moore is a perfect example, gold medalist in surfing. You know, all this history in Hawaii couldn't compete under the state flag, and this rainbow comes out right before she wins. And in their culture, they believe that that is. A manifestation of ancestors and there's this guy Duke that started surfing there, statues by the beach where she grew up. And people thought it was Duke looking down on her winning. Like I mean, you did I couldn't invent a story that's that great. And to me, that speaks to the Olympics. And it's a shame, misgivings aside, because those are fair. It's a shame more people didn't get to see it.
3: Yeah. I mean the stories sound incredible. I, I am curious, you've covered many. This one, you know, I know some of the events had no fans. Uh, was it all the events? I, I Or outside, did they have some fans? Like, what was that like?
5: Yeah, you know, there were crowds, but they had to be the worst crowds in the history of sports, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, God. it's usually mostly journalists who are jaded. And, you know, not the, not the Europeans. So that's, that's a good crowd. But, like, you get people like me who are jaded, hate cheering, think that everything sucks, you know? And so... Yeah. I, you know, there were officials there and then there would be volunteers and they could kind of move a little bit more freely. It seemed like, you know, we were this sort of bubble, but it, it, the, it didn't feel very bubbly. And there were a lot of people who took liberty with parts of it. You know, like we were only supposed to go to 7-Eleven if we left our hotel and only then for 15 minutes at a time. And you had to like sign in and sign out. And they said they were tracking you and all this kinds of stuff. But it seemed to relax a little bit. There were a couple of venues, I think, that felt more like a game you know i covered women's soccer the tie against australia Mm. in in kashima Uh, they had like 1200 school children and they were all like packed together Uh, that felt like a crowd and it was cool because it's like the least jaded crowd possible yeah and then like i I got a lot of arguments with people over this but i loved the scene at 3x3 hoops it was fantastic there was hip-hop dancers there was a dj the volunteers went there which to me spoke to a level of interest in a sport yeah. that got panned a lot, you know, back home, and that to me felt like a very Olympic experience too. And then the the other thing I would say in terms of crowds, like when Allison Felix won that four by four hundred meter relay, and they put together like essentially a dream team. This was like Jordan, Bird, Magic, yeah. and you know, I mean. It was, you know, the four fastest people they could have put out there. And they won by so much. I took a picture. I put it on my Instagram. Saw that. You can see, Athing uh, Mo, and she's so far ahead of her next competitor on the straightaway that they haven't even turned the curve. And like the, every coach in that building was sitting in the grandstand near the end of the finish. And they went crazy. Like they were up on their feet and yelling and like, here's a woman who won uh, 11 medals, you know, like, I mean. I I don't know how long it took me to to get 11 of anything, you know. (laughs) And and so there were these like little moments and, you know, they're juxtaposed against like people definitely got sick, you know, like there there was definitely Mm -hmm. virus spread. Like, I mean, I'm not excusing any of that, but I, I would say that in the process, like I really, really enjoyed covering it in a way I totally did not expect to.
3: Yeah, I mean that. It, you make it sound amazing. Frankly, Boys, uh, that's a, I
5: honestly think I, I liked it more than any Olympics I've covered. I and I've covered every tennis Grand Slam. I've covered the Tour de France. I've covered at millions Super Bowls. Like maybe it's just because I'm older and I'm having kids and I'm soft now. But it
3: yeah, yeah yeah definitely getting soft. But there's also the aspect of for the last year you really couldn't do jack squat and you yeah, stayed man. home. And now you're like out there at an Olympics with great stories everywhere
5: absolutely and i try to frame it in my own brain as like an opportunity rather than you know i left most days for track at seven i got back between two and four and i walked two Two and and four
3: four. that's a.m right
5: yeah i walked i walked home and back every day i could and that's a 40 minute walk in really really strong heat and i just you know i just looked at it like this was such a cool opportunity and i wouldn't have been able to do that when i was 25
3: wait wait why were you having to
5: walk 40 minutes in the heat I just liked it. It was like, Oh my gosh. What? No, you had the
3: choice to take a bus or whatever. and said, no,
5: you know, the bus would be like two hours. So I'm like an efficiency guy, but I also like, I wanted to lose a little weight. And like, this is like Las Vegas married Miami. So you have the heat of Vegas and the humidity of Miami. And the second you step outside, it's just like instant sweat. And then we got to go (sighs) sit on these buses with people from all over the world who may or may not have COVID
3: oh that's and unfair yeah
5: they're just as sweaty as i am so it w- I actually ended up writing at the end about my empty walks through tokyo at the end of the night you know there there are these i would just walk through shinjuku which is like the biggest most vibrant part of the city they call it the city of lights i'd highly recommend going there it was so much fun and walking through it when it's totally empty was amazing if quick story if you have time i uh the the third to last day I covered track Felix had had won the four by four I was like sad I had to write again I was feeling tired and you know I'd hit my own non-exercise wall <laughs> and I started walking back my usual walk which is my favorite part of the day and the heavens just opened and like water soaked I mean oh. I could have got a cab I'm thinking about like you know, walking back to the bus. And instead, I just like decided I was gonna keep walking. I was cranking some Jay-Z on my uh, AirPods and just like (laughs) barreling down the streets of Tokyo. And all of a sudden, this older woman ran up to me, which is really unusual, right? Like the Japanese people don't really mess with you. Like they're very respectful, you know, like they're very helpful, but they're not gonna run up to you like that. And so I assumed she wanted money and they have a million different coins. So I'm like reaching my pocket to get the coins, which I'm trying to get rid of anyway. And instead, she took her umbrella and she handed it to me.
3: Oh, wow.
5: And I like I tried to give it back to her because obviously the metrics, the optics on that aren't very good, <laughs> but, you know, uh, but she wouldn't take it. And so I have this umbrella at my house now. And
3: wow, you know, that's wild. Point, why do you any idea why? she? So you told me there's nobody in the streets when you're walking
5: like you'd see like a person every two blocks. And then during the day, it would be like Times Square.
3: Packed. Wow. So and if did it feel safe or not really?
5: Yeah, totally safe. But for that reason, you know, like because it's empty, there just weren't a lot of people out. Now, Japan's pretty safe in general. So I think it wouldn't have been an Uh, issue either way. But it was also I mean, I'll send you a couple of pictures. It was incredibly empty. It was so jarring. And I imagine if New York was like that, a place I've lived for a long time. Yeah, it would feel even more jarring. But, you know, the last couple of nights, we were able to go out in like Shinjuku and like to go to Japanese barbecue and to see these alleyways with all these bars and I mean, it felt like the way the Olympics would have been, which would have just yeah. my productivity. So if we are. Yeah, yeah.
3: Are yeah. Right <laughs> wow. That's well, a good experience. So now you'll. How much time off will you get after the Olympics before you dive into? I'm assuming they're going to have you cover college in the NFL for SI?
5: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we're due in October again. So I'll only do like part of the season, uh, you know, uh, because I'll be at home on paternity leave. But. Um,
3: oh, sweet.
5: Yeah, but so you get like I,
3: a month off.
5: Yeah, yeah, maybe even like six well, weeks off in airports. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. hopefully, they're listening. Uh, definitely, <laughs> games with the baby in my arm. Um,
3: so uh, let me ask, did you when you were when your first kid was born, did you get any time off?
5: Uh, I got two weeks. Yeah,
3: yeah, things are changing for sure. Yeah, I, I still time. remember when my first, I mean, 10 years ago, no time.
5: Yeah, like, yeah, and it, you know, a lot of things have been said about our new ownership group, but they do have a 12 week policy, so I'll be able to take some during the season and some after, which I'm very grateful for.
3: Yeah. SI really stirring the pot. We, we don't need to go there. Cause I mean, frankly, there's, I don't think the audience really knows or cares, Um, but SI has been changing. That's obvious, but not really your role, right? Like you, you're pretty much doing the same thing. Big takeout pieces, interesting stuff. Um, You're not doing cookie cutter, can the chiefs get back to the super bowl? That's like just not your, that's not on brand for you. I hope not. That's another thing. I'm very
5: (laughs) very grateful for, you know, like the ability to think through and hopefully, um, you know, do pieces that make people think through them. And so you you talked about time off. I mean, they're they're being nice. I'm not supposed to work till the Pacquiao fight, which is next weekend. Um, Mm, but uh, I've been closing a cover story the last two days, right after I got back. So yeah, this is just the life we have chosen.
3: No rest <laughs> for the we- Wow. So uh, <laughs> I- I'm curious. Uh, like, I, th- I think you've been covering Pacquiao for a while, right? We- going way back to what? New York Times back in the
5: 2009 was the first time I wrote him. And actually, if you'll pardon a quick digression, um, the first no, time I wrote ahead. him, Fred Sternberg and I went to his apartment. This is back when he was living in multiple places in Los Angeles. And he chose to live there because he liked being crowded, liked people, and having everybody on top of him. And he didn't come downstairs for seven hours. So I ended up writing my first story on Pacquiao was just about his entourage and how it functions because this is what I watched all day. It's like five guys having a debate on what kind of Gatorade to give him. And then it's like, you know, somebody's like arranging the dartboard. So it's just like freaking perfect. And then it's like somebody else is like cutting up the leftover food and portioning it out for everybody. Somebody else was like setting up the karaoke because I guess that was the plan for the night. And the craziest detail from that whole story is that whoever he is happiest with, at least then, I'm not positive that it's now, would sleep at the foot of his bed. Like even if his wife was in the bed, somebody would sleep what? It, and they were all angling for it. And this is why you got to love covering boxing. Like I got that on the record.
3: <laughs> and oh, my gosh. Issue, you know?
5: So, yeah, so it he, was, he, uh, that
3: sounds like I was going to say diva, but maybe it's a little more of a cultural thing.
5: Yeah, well, I think part of it is like he grew up really poor, surrounded by family. And I think that, you know, in some ways that was comforting to him, especially as his world at that point. You know, this is the Ricky Hatton, you know, Miguel Cotto. These are like, this is prime Pacquiao. Mm -hmm. And if he fought Floyd, it would have been amazing. And, uh, you know, it was really like I think everything was changing rapidly for him. He was trying to hold on to it. So. Yeah. It's interesting to still be writing about him this, this much. I mean,
3: is I know he's super world famous and, but does he kind of remember you from back in the day? Are you guys texting and stuff?
5: Well, he he at least pretends to, but I don't know. (laughs) know. Uh, The other day I saw him in LA, I got a piece out on him next week. It's sort of political in nature, you know, what he's trying to do and what the hurdles are and his beef with the current president um, and why that happened. And so, I saw him get like this. I saw him in LA. I was only there for the day, you know, and I, I went to see uh, the McKee family first. Then I go to see Manny. He points at my hair and he says, We are both no longer young men, you know, because it's like gray in my temper. Oh, wow. Is his is So
3: he does remember.
5: And so I think so. I mean, either that yeah. or he's just like, Why does that gray hair dude keep coming back? I mean, yeah. So I well, it,
3: you know, it's funny you mentioned political. Um, you know, Greg, it's a, I, I hate talking about politics now. Absolutely hate it. It's insufferable yeah. for me. Um, but the, you know, the business of sports, unfortunately, is getting a little political. Are you, how are you navigating that minefield?
5: You know, I try not to write a ton about it, mostly because like, I don't love to deal with the reaction. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even, it, it doesn't bother me when people say they hate something I wrote or that I did something wrong or like, you know, you get that every day, yeah, even, that's even from at home, you know, um, my wife's <laughs> in the next room over probably laughing, uh, right you know, it's more like the hateful stuff that's hard, you know, start getting into the the Trump stuff was pretty divisive. So I had a lot of those. I'm just muting and blocking. You're wasting brain power by doing that, you know? And so, you know, to me, it's relevant more when it relates to the sporting event, just for my job, you know, not saying it's not relevant in general, like people that cover that do an amazing job of it. They do a better job than I ever could. But to me, what's interesting about this Pacquiao fight, I don't want to give too much of my story away, but I think it's safe to say that he would not be fighting again if he did not want to win president of the Philippines next mm, May. Yeah. This fight is about a lot more than his legacy. I mean, my understanding is he's trying to fight twice before next May in order to try to win. And if he doesn't do well in those fights, and he picked really hard ones to max the relevancy. I mean, obviously Errol Spence got hurt, but you know there was no no it's not a coincidence he picked Spence. Like he thought that was the best yeah. way to give him a best chance to win. And so my story is about why he is a long shot in that regard and why he's still fighting is, is not as much for the love of the sport or for legacy, which is, I mean, come on already as good as a legacy eight divisions so many years, never ducked. Anybody took on all opponents. Like, There's nothing left for him to fight for except for the thing he wants that he may not be able to get anyway. So that's what my piece that's out next week is about.
3: Just hearing that, Greg, you clearly go for the big picture stuff. You know, like as much as we do on this uh, podcast with like, you know, gambling, tiny stuff and fantasy. Like you're doing the big picture stuff. This piece on Dak Prescott, and again, I'm not asking you to give away everything, but you hung out with him at his house for, I don't know what, 48 hours or something.
5: Yeah, it was kind of interesting, right? I went in June, so they were still pretty locked down. So I could not go see him at anything that was like team related. That's like an NFL rule, which is good right. for me, right? Like yeah. I would be offsite anyway, you know? Yeah. And so I think I had sort of a tryout the first day. I never asked him, but we met at a cigar bar in uh, Frisco, Texas. And we got the back room to ourselves. Nobody else was in there except the waitstaff. And we talked for a long time. And then at the end of that, I basically said, Hey, like, I'd love to get some scene tomorrow with whatever you want to do. And he said, What are you thinking? I said, Well, I'd love to come by your house. Like, it looks pretty awesome. And so
3: <laughs> but I did you go seen over, it on Instagram. Yeah yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. And like, you know, he was just so normal. I mean, I've done a million of those. And in general, famous people are more normal than you'd think. But he was like relatable in a way where like he asked me about other writers that we that I know that we had in common. He ordered us DoorDash for lunch at his house <laughs> one day, you know, just like on his phone. You know, I mean, he was remarkably grounded. You know, even while we're walking around this backyard, big pond, uh, half a football field with the goalpost and like speakers lining the whole thing. Uh he has a golf green that's like, you know, three different aiming points to the same spot. You know, I won't say how I hit out there. Uh yeah, yeah, and yeah. then, you know, there's a pool set up. I mean, it was It was really cool. And part of the story, I think, is like how he shaped himself in childhood to be able to deal with all the difficult things that have happened to him. And one thing that I thought was cool was sort of connecting this palace that he made on seven acres to what it was like for him growing up in a trailer park. And, you know, I think the part of that is like for this guy, everything has changed. And yet, in some ways, nothing has.
0: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue.
1: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at FoxSportsRadio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Do
3: you find athletes now reluctant to come out and reveal all this stuff to you? Or are they more willing to say it to you because of your history and a lot of the stuff you've covered?
5: Yeah, you know what I try to do now that I never did when I was younger. I would go into these things when I was younger just sort of hoping that that serendipity would strike and that I'd get some good stuff and I'd be able to fashion it into a story. I don't I'm not of the mind that you go into a story knowing what you plan to write. I hate it when my editors tell me what I should be looking for. To me this this the reporting should be more organic than that. I should have kind of an idea of what I think the story is, but that's that that line of thinking should go through the people I'm writing about. So this is the best thing I ever learned that I tell the younger writers because you just don't think that you're worth worthy of saying something like this. But I tell people exactly what I'm looking for, you know, in terms of parameters for the reporting trip, in terms of what I think the premise is, in terms of who I think I need to talk to. And none of that is to say that I go with everything they say or that Dak and I didn't even he disagreed a little bit with what I think the premise of the story is. But that tension in the back and forth there is organic and usable you know because then i get to what he thinks it is versus what it looks like and so i spend a lot of time like telling my own story when it's relevant you know in terms of talking to them i discuss my own mental health and things i've gone through i discuss my reporting with the Halinsky family and things i've done there and i just think it's less that i'm like trying to tell them about me because obviously nobody would find me interesting but it's more like I want to show him that I understand this world that I'm not coming out to write the same story. You know, one of his concerns going in was he felt like his story has been told. And to me, his story had been told a lot in one way, but that's actually the opportunity. That is me saying, I can do this differently. like your yeah. life is more than these three events. Let's go tie it all together. Let's really sit down and talk. And I think once you set that expectation level, it doesn't always work you know but it it tends to work more than it used to and i wish i feel bad for everyone i wrote long stories about when i was like in my 20s it's just terrible you know and no, well has,
3: you've changed you've matured right
5: it, yeah but like i didn't know what i didn't know and now now i wish they all deserved better but like I, t- I tried hard on this story and that's half the battle you know get get in front of the guy have a good plan and see if he'll buy into it. And in this case, I don't think I've ever profiled a famous person who was this open with me as Dak was.
3: Wow. Uh, and, and the events of course his you know, his brother's death, uh, his mom, yeah. uh, and, um, his own issues that he's yeah. been dealing with. He's I'm just curious. Yeah. Go ahead.
5: Well, he started with his own mental health. You know, mom died of cancer when he was in college, brother committed, died by suicide in, uh, in, uh, April, 2020. And, then you had the injury, which was freakish, and yeah, you know. Then you had the contract, and obviously that's been resolved. But it wasn't for a lot of this. And it so, wasn't,
3: yeah. I, I am curious. You know, the mental health stuff, Simone Biles at the Olympics. It's like a big flashpoint now, and then, of course, because people want to politicize it. You know, the right is saying, "Well, this is an, a convenient, e- easy way out." And I don't know. It. You've been writing about it longer than a lot of people, uh, Greg. You going back to the Halinsky family. Um, And that awful story uh, in college football. I don't know. Where where do you think we are as sports fans when it comes to mental health and anxiety? And listen, I'll keep it a hundred as I always do. I have my own issues more. uh, I'm, you know, I have some anxiety. My wife thinks it's like full blown, but I, of course I'm like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. But in inside, I know I have mine. I think we all to some level have something, right?
5: Absolutely. I I deal with it. a ton myself anxiety, you know, not now, but depression in my past. And, I've had family members in situations like that. So here's what I think is cool about it. I think that it's changing, but it's not going to change as fast as, you know, maybe people that really love the concept wanted to. And that's because there are going to be people out there that think it's soft, that think it's um, sort of a cop out. And I'm sure there will even be instances where people, you know, sort of say this is dealing with my mental health when they don't really have the wake up the way that I wake up, (laughs) which is like my brain going like this, trying to make sense of what's going to happen in the day, you know? And like, that's a real thing, but it's biological, you know, and we're starting to figure that out. Here's what's cool about it. Um, I think Naomi Osaka took a lot of sort of heat, you know, when she went through from the French open, she had a lot of support, Mm -hmm. but you saw a lot of it. I talked with this with Colton Brown at Judoka about this in Tokyo. And I think when Biles withdrew for the same reasons. I think she got a lot less of the other stuff you're talking about. Now She still got some of it. Yeah, but some of this is like outrage cycle to me. It's like, you know, three people of 3000 say something terrible. And then it becomes the world didn't support her, you know, because we're looking for the non-support. Yeah, that's the
3: other problem. Yeah.
5: What I saw with Biles was a ton of support from famous people, from regular people, from athletes, from gymnasts in the stories, it was
3: overwhelming. And that, to me, is progress. How, wait, say- how, Greg, hold on. How do we fix that? How do we avoid reporting what these jackasses say on, on social media? Because they don't matter. Guys yeah. with 17 followers that are using an anonymous handle, Ryder 73 like, these guys aren't, they don't really believe that. They're just saying that to piss people off. They're just 100%. saying that to get under people's skin. So why yeah. does the media latch onto those clowns?
5: Well, I I think part of it is like, we expect to be outraged. You know, we expect to have something we want to latch on to that makes it, you know, essentially like, of course somebody wouldn't support Simone Biles because Trump was president and the (laughs) right sucks. You know, like that's the line of logic that goes into it. And then like, you're like, you don't support Simone and your MAGA and all this other stuff. Like uh, I think the best way to deal with this to go right at it. And that to me has been the coolest byproduct of this conversation. Like, I've had conversations with my friends about my own mental health that I never would have had before, that I certainly never would have had if I didn't meet the Helensky family. And that I certainly would not be in the place I'm at in my life if I hadn't, you know, gone after some of that stuff. And so I don't think there's like a right answer, but I think it's awesome that we're like talking about it, you know, and that Osaka had more detractors than Biles did. Unscientific scientific survey there. OK, I might be wrong,
3: but like. It's, no, no, um, I, I mean. I I would probably agree with that. Again, you know, there's no, there's no scientific way to prove that, you know, unless you go by social media reactions, which we just said is asinine.
5: Yeah. And I think that, you know, if this happens enough times, then eventually we look at this. Like, look, there are athletes that say their knee hurts when it doesn't really hurt because they don't want to play or they don't want to get hurt. Right. And so the the whole idea that somebody could use mental health as an, an excuse or whatever they would term it, you know, it's no different to me than an injury in that regard either. You know, it's like, there is a whole body in play with athletes. And we've seen in the last 10 years, and I've written a lot about it, that whole landscape has changed mental health, but also physical recovery, the tools that are used, the holistic nature of being your best, which applies to you and me and Tom Brady and people that are more talented than we are. No offense uh, to either of us. And I think think that, you know, it, it should all be looked at in the same cauldron. It doesn't mean every time it needs to be a, a massive thing, but it's no yeah. different than like you can tweak your ankle and address your ankle. You can tweak your mental health and need a small fix. You can break your leg and need a whole year off. You can have a really bad time in mental health and need a whole year off. Like to me, it's yeah. all the same bucket. But the way that we fix it is stop focusing on the, this thing that we're expecting, which is people reacting in a way that doesn't make sense yeah. to a rational person. And let's focus on everything else. I've read out so much about process about recovery about sports psychs to the point where i'm like am i writing too much about mental health you know? <laughs> and to me that's good that means the conversation's moving forward now yeah it's not going to be overnight
3: I, I just wonder you said in the last decade and the only thing that i feel that has changed significantly in the last decade is the impact of phones and social media yeah. and I, again i'm small potatoes but i go on undisputed and i rip the pelicans and my phone doesn't stop buzzing all day, and I'm I'm you know I'm small small time. Okay, I can't imagine what it's like for Dak Prescott. I can't even fathom quarterback of the Cowboys or anybody in the NFL or NB yeah. Kevin Love or whoever, they, they got their phone in their pocket. They got millions of followers. I it, that this has to have some significant impact. Would you not agree?
5: A hundred percent. And anybody that tells you that their social doesn't impact them is lying. Is my yeah, yeah. personal belief. You know. I actually took Twitter off my phone just because I don't want to smart. I want to look at it like twice a day for new stuff, but I don't want to be caught up in caring about what some guy in Des Moines thinks about the story I wrote that I didn't have time to do the right, you know, like it's just like not my best work or something. Or like maybe they they have a good point and and somebody's made it 30 times. Do you need to look at the other all the way up to 140, you know, like, yeah, not really, but like that stuff does impact you. It, it does. It's not like I sit around thinking about the reaction all the time. Like that would be inaccurate to say. But to say to say that you get all this hateful stuff sent your way by total strangers when you're just trying to do your job well, yeah. And then it doesn't impact you at all. Like I would never say that. Yeah, I, I've
3: worked with people, Greg, uh, that I've seen, witnessed meltdown under this the the burden of social media and just you know, I, you obviously have a wife and kid at home and another one on the way, but like. I feel like that is such a huge component to distancing yourself from social media. You know, you're with your family. You have an outlet. All these yahoos screaming at you on social media. Who cares? You're playing connect four with your kid and your wife and you guys are going out and doing stuff like I do feel bad for people who don't have that. And some of these young kids, man, like, I I mean, we're talking about us as adults. You deleted Twitter. It's tough for me to wake up on a morning and not make it the first app I look at. Because I got to put out my, uh, my podcast and I got to see what the reaction is. Do I need to reply? Like, I've probably, I've, I swear I've blocked like th- maybe 5,000 people. <laughs> I, I, I just don't have the time. Again, if you're anonymous and you're just going to yell at me, I don't, I don't need that. You know, you don't need to look at your phone and people are mother effing you, you know, th- four out of seven days a week. That doesn't happen in real life. Has anyone ever come up to you, Greg, in public about a story and got in your face and said, man, you suck. That was awful. Anyone ever, Greg?
5: Uh, Well, funny enough, not often, but uh, I did get heckled once at Madison Square Garden when I was covering the Big East tournament. And this guy was in the first row and he was like, Bishop, your column sucked, you know? And I was like, well, sir, it wasn't my favorite. So you're probably right on that one.
3: One time in, what, 15 years? (laughs) Once, Greg. And even then,
5: he was was, like jokingly heckling, you know? Right, right, right. He's not going to get in
3: your face. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, Hey, I've taken, I've kept you way too long. I guess I, I do want to wrap up. Uh, you know, you had one other, you have a book coming out that I'm kind of in, interested in, um, you know, y- without giving you too much credit, it sounds like you've cornered the market on foreign players coming into the NFL. Uh, tell us about your, your uh, book with a certain offensive lineman for the Kansas city chiefs.
5: Yes. Yeah, so I'm doing a book with Laurent Tiverny Tardif. He was the starting right guard in the Super Bowl that they won And he did not play in 2020 because he's the only active doctor in the NFL. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean, the book will essentially be about a year away, which was a lot harder for him, I think, than people would expect for COVID reasons and for personal ones, you know, being away from teammates, uh, wanting to protect Mahomes. It certainly was not lost on him um, how that Super Bowl went and why they lost that game. Not to say that he would have magically fixed their line with issues, but you know, he he was a top tier lineman that didn't play. And, uh, you know, he confronted a lot of stuff that makes 2020 what it was, you know? So that was, you know, whether it was the actual pandemic, the humanity that he saw in terms of the people he worked with on the front lines or the patients that he cared for. Um, this, it, it is like, the, the things that have stayed with me about writing it are just, it's like equal parts, heartbreaking and informative. And it ties to the world in a way I think is unique. Like this is a guy who's 2020 explains what we lived through from the best, best, best parts of this really terrible situation to everything that made it terrible in the first place. And I I would just sort of I guess I would posit that there's not a person like him in the world that had that exact viewpoint. That was a Super Bowl champion who wanted more than anything to defend his title. And couldn't because there was something else that was more important. Like yeah. I mean, they they have made movies about far less than than that, and I'm I'm excited to put the, all that out into the world for sure. Has it?
3: I I guess you got to wait for it to get optioned, right? Uh, and then no,
5: no, we we signed with Harbor Calls. Yeah, so oh. it'll, be out. it'll be out after the season. The, so the book, I mean? so the book's
3: out, but what about the movie rights? Do you think that oh, there's a movie yeah. here?
5: Well, I'd love to, and who would play me is the question. Oh, yeah, obviously, the writer. Matters, that matters yeah. so
3: significantly. Wow. <laughs> uh, you, have you have you talked to him about Delta? Can, can I ask that? Uh, you know, I haven't
5: spoke to him since I went to the Olympics, so we, we okay. did have a little bit of conversations about the pandemic coming back again because it does put him in sort of a situation, but he's already committed to trying to come back for the season. He's yeah. trying to make the Chiefs a present, They obviously did a lot of work to their offensive line. Doesn't mean there's a no spot for him, but doesn't guarantee one either. That's the life of an NFL player. Yeah. And so he was just, you know, he's been consistently telling me to be careful. You know, all of all the people I've written about for pandemic things said that a bad wave was coming. You know, I landed two days ago. From Tokyo. And this is where they said we'd be. Oh, great.
3: So, Come on. Wait a minute. T- please tell me our kids are going to be in school this fall. God, I hope so. You know, one oh, my person
5: I spoke with who's on the uh, sports and society work group for COVID-19 that meets with the White House and the CDC told me he thought this period would be as bad as the initial one. And that's
3: oh. what we're seeing now. That's devastating. Well, I hate to end on a bad note. Damn it, Greg. Because uh, <laughs> my wife and I are not going to be thrilled if our kids have to do homeschool again. Like that was not fun. Not fun for anybody, them or us. Uh, but anyways, yeah, uh, hey, Greg, thanks for taking the time, man. Sound uh, You've done some great stuff. You sound like just a really good dad and friend and father and all that stuff. So keep up the good work, man. And, uh, you know, keep churning out the great journalism.
0: We're trying, but thank you. Great opportunity here. And uh, it was fun to tell some stories. if you dare.
2: it's Zumo Play.